song, um, like 20 plus years ago, that song was written, uh, there was a church in England where the senior minister thought that the worship had become a little too, a little too much, a little too extra, you know, a little too showy, a little too dynamic, they were worried too much about dynamics and, and just making it a performance. And so the senior minister made a real um, a bold decision. He said, no more, uh, no more instruments for a while. We're shutting down the sound system, we're sh- putting away the instruments, and we're just going to bring it back to just the songs, just the words. And so for like a solid month, and this is a big church. This isn't like a little, this isn't a little tiny church. This is a big old church. And, um, and they met in a separate room where all they brought were their, all they brought were their Bibles and their hearts and their voices. And that was it. And for like a month in this big old church, they just, uh, they just sang with their voices. And uh, just to get back to the heart of worship. And the worship leader there, his name is Matt Redman. And through that experience, he wrote this song. I mean, the music fades. And you can, you, when you go through the lyrics of that song, you can hear that. You can hear the story of, of that experience. And how um, we're, we're supposed to bring an offering. Worship is our offering to the Lord. We're singing to God. We're praising God for who he is and what he's done. And uh, he wrote that song so, so that they could uh, get back to the heart of worship. And that's what I hope for us to do today. Uh, but before I get into my message, I would like to open up in prayer. So if you would pray with me, that'd be great. It is all about you, God. The fact that any of us have breath in our lungs right now is because of you. The fact that we, maybe we have people in this room that we care about, that's because of you. The fact that we even know you, the fact that we even know of you, is because of you. So thank you for giving us a new day to be alive, a new day full of morning mercies. And um, I pray that today, I pray that you speak through me, let me die that you can live, so that you can speak, and we can hear what you have to say. We love you, Jesus, and I ask this all in your precious, justifying name. Amen. Well, the last time I preached was March 15, March 15, 2020, and we didn't have church for 11 weeks after that. So... We'll see what happens. Um, it is great to be uh, speaking to you today. I know that many of you, ha- uh, I've never uh, spoken while you've been here, so thank you for um, being here. And um, like I said, I hope we can get back to the heart of worship today. Today, um, I do want to emphasize what our series is for the next three weeks. The heart of worship, getting back to the heart of worship, but that second part of it. Music is great, but Jesus is greater. Music is it's great. I love music. Like, as your worship leader, I, I spend a lot of my week listening to music, practicing music, uh, uh, preparing, uh, for the mu- preparing specifically for the music portion of our service. 
I mean, a good chunk of my uh, day, a good chunk of my week, of uh, my days, of my, of my week, is listening to, preparing to, something with music, preparing for something with music. And um, I love music. Music is great. And as a society, we love music. I, 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 I challenge you right now in your mind to think, like I don't want you to shout it out, but think in your mind, how, how many hours a week do you think we spend listening to music? Okay, just kind of get make a guess. How many hours per week do do you think, uh, on average, do we listen to music? Okay, because the answer, according to one study, is 18 hours per week, and that is that's 2021. Okay, that is nothing. Like for whatever reason, back in like 2017, we were off the charts. We were like 32 hours uh, a week listening to music, uh, and I'm sh- and I wonder how much it like. Do, do they count when you're like multitasking, like when you're when you're cleaning the house and listening to music and stuff like that? And we love music. Look at any culture on the planet, and I almost guarantee that music is a part of their society, whether they live on an island in the middle of the ocean or whether uh, you know right here in Indiana. Music is a part of almost every uh, single culture, every single society. Uh, music can be very moving. It can bear, it can stir, music is emotional, it's what it is, it stirs us emotionally. In fact, I bet if some of you were honest, on your phone, or maybe just in your mind, you have certain songs that you listen to when you're feeling certain emotions. Uh, you might have your happy playlist, or your sad playlist, you know, the songs you listen to when you're sad, or the songs you listen to when you're happy, or the songs you listen to when you're sad and you want to be happy. We have some songs Maybe, maybe you have a playlist on your iTunes, maybe not, but you maybe if you could think about it, okay, if I'm really sad, if I had a hard day at work, this is the song I listen to so I can cry on my way home and feel better when I get back kind of thing. Music is very moving. It's very emotional. I mean, just last Friday, it was the last day of school here at CCS, and uh, it was just a fun day. We watched the movies, played some games and all that stuff, and we were watching Sing 2, okay, and... Um, I was sitting in the fellowship hall, just monitoring kids, not really paying attention. And then the finale of um, the finale of that movie, like I felt it in my heart. Like I was watching a lion sing a duet with a porcupine, and I'm just like, yes, that is. It was it was moving. That's how powerful music is. Uh, and I, I mean, just a few weeks ago, I was up here singing special on Mother's Day, and um, and I could hear all the sniffles. I could hear all the all the sniffles and see all the crying faces um, with the, with the song I was singing. So like um, with the song that the band was uh, doing for a special, music can be very moving. Uh, certain songs maybe make you certain songs maybe make you think of certain people. You're you're driving down the road, and a song pops on the radio, and Think of Grandpa, think of your uncle, think of your aunt, think of your old friend from high school, or you think of high school. Uh, think of certain, it can make you think of certain people, places, or events. We sing, music is a part of weddings, music is a part of funerals, we sing at church, we sing at birthday parties. Music is a big part of, uh, of our lives. One thing I want to point out here at the very beginning because obviously I'm, I'm specifically talking today about worship music, about church music, music we sing here in this building. 
or maybe uh, other churches that you've ever attended, or maybe you regularly attend another church. So I'm speaking of music that we sing at church, whether that be here or any other um, church. Um, we need to be careful not to make music an idol. We do. You do. I do. We need to be careful not to make music an idol because it can very easily become one. Um, music cannot save you. Music cannot forgive you of your sins. Uh, cannot get you into heaven. Uh, music is a tool. It's, it, it's an artistic tool that we use to communicate biblical truths. Music is an artistic tool that we use to communicate biblical truths about, how, uh, about Jesus and his work, about God and his work. That's what music is. It's an artistic tool to communicate biblical truths about God. Uh, that's why we sing. We sing to make much of God and his work. Okay? We sing to make much of him. To, to, to just make much of him, to bring attention to him, to bring honor to him. We sing to make God, to make much of God and his work. And I would argue that worship music has always been about that. If you read through the Bible and you read the songs, you read the song of, uh, you read Mary's song, you read uh, Hannah's song, you, read, you go through and you, Miriam's song, you read those songs from the Bible, and oversimplified version is they're always bringing glory to God, or they're bringing glory to uh, God's work. It's always about God, to praise God, and or to praise his work. That's what every worship song at any church you ever attend should be focused on. How awesome God is, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Okay? How awesome God is, or how awesome God's works are. When I survey the wondrous cross we hear those lyrics, it either needs to be talking about how awesome God is or how awesome God's works are. That's the biblical example. Like, for, for example, here's one passage from Psalm 96. Uh, this is verses two, uh, verse 2 through the beginning of verse 4. Um, again, Psalm 96, it says this. Sing to the Lord. Praise his name. Each day proclaim the good news that he saves. Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about what? The amazing things he does. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. Let's look at that. Let's keep that up on the screen just for a second. Do you see what this psalm is emphasizing? What we should emphasize in worship? Proclaim the good news that he saves. God's mighty works. Okay? Publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Again, God's mighty works. Tell everything about the amazing, tell everyone about the amazing things that he does. God's mighty works. And great is the Lord. How awesome God is. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise. The New Testament also gives us a couple uh, passages uh, that deal with uh, instructions of worship as well. Ephesians 5, 18 uh, through 20. It says this, instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs among yourselves and making music to the Lord in your hearts. 
song, hymns, spiritual songs. Spiritual songs, just, I, I've heard that spiritual songs is kind of like a blanket term for any song that teaches spiritual truth, biblical truth. Okay? We got another one, Colossians 3.16. says, let the message of Christ, and we're going to focus on this passage for a while. Colossians 3.16, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I love that word. Let it dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another. Another word for admonish is just counsel uh, or, or warn. As you teach and, and admonish one another with all wisdom through what? Psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Paul, that Colossians passage, Paul is telling us what um, our mindsets and what our hearts should be uh, when it comes to worship. That um, beginning phrase, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That is what our mindsets, our hearts should be while we sing. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. So we need to be careful about making music an idol. Maybe a self-inventory that you can take, that I can take, is you should ask what's more important when it comes to worship at your church of choice, whether it's here or somewhere else. What, uh, what, what maybe stands out to you the most? Uh, is it the excitement of the music or the, or the excitement of the service? Or is it Jesus? Is it the message of the song? Is it the, is it the message of the sermon? Is it the excitement of the music or the service, or is it Jesus? Is it how good the singers are singing, or is it Jesus? Is it the genre of the song, or is it Jesus? Is it what instruments there are, or is it Jesus? The arrangement of the song, or Jesus? Who's playing what instruments, or is it Jesus? That's not how that church sings that song. You sing that song way better than that other church sings it. Has it become an idol? Has music become an idol? Do you care more about who wrote the song or who sings the song? Oh, you should sing this song. I heard so-and-so on the radio singing it. it. And I want you to sing the song because so-and-so is singing it. Or what sounds good, like on the radio, rather than the content of the song. Or do you have a hard time worshiping with other people who like different kinds of worship than you? Because the message of Christ, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. That should be number one. That should be the number one thing. Okay, that song is different. I'm not used to that kind of style of music, but you know what? It was all about Jesus. All the words were praising Christ. All the words were praising God. It wasn't my flavor. It wasn't my style of music, but you know what? It was all about Christ. It was all about him. Not to, like, so the message of Christ, that's what should be number one. Not genre, not fast or slow, not loud or quiet, not talent, not tempo, not who wrote it, uh, not what band sings it, not what uh, performing artist sings it, but the message. What is the message? What is the content? That should be priority number one, the message of Christ. We should value the content Above all. So, what is the message of Christ? What is this message of Christ that Paul says, 
he says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. What is that? Like, what is this that should be on our minds and on our hearts while we're singing and while we're listening to a mess or a sermon being um, presented? It's a story that you all know. It's a story you've heard many times. Uh, maybe you've been a Christian, Christian longer than I've been alive, or maybe this is the first time you've ever stepped foot into a church building. Um, but it's a story that you've probably heard at some point or another, or maybe this is the first time you heard it, and let me tell you, this is the greatest news you could ever hear. It's like I said, it's a story that most of you probably already know. It's a story about how God created everything. You read Genesis chapter 1, and God creates everything. He creates planets. He creates moons. He creates oceans. He creates animals. He creates animals of the air, the water, the land. And every single time, he creates it, and it was good. He creates it, and it was good. He creates it, and it was what? Good. Then he creates a, a special creature. He creates a, uh, a special creation creates man. The only creation he makes that he personally breathes life into. The only creature that he creates that is said to be made in his image. He creates Adam. He eventually creates Eve. And they live in this garden. Beautiful big garden with all these trees, with all, these, all this food on the trees. And he says, you can eat any food of any tree not one, because God doesn't want robots. He doesn't want you to be forced to have a relationship with him. He gave him all the opportunity to succeed, but again, he doesn't want emotional, he doesn't want robots uh, to have a relationship with him, so he still gives them the choice. He gives them one tree, just one, just this one right here. Stay away from it. Don't eat the, the fruit on this tree. And he puts them in the garden and lets them go, and everything goes great for like a page. Eventually, Adam and Eve do exactly what you would have done if you were them. Adam and Eve do exactly what I would have done if I were, one of, if I were them. Eventually, at some point, don't know how long, but eventually, they choose to do things their own way. They, uh, they eat from the tree uh, that they should not, that God tells them not to, and uh, God ban banishes them from the garden. And like I said, you would have done the same thing if you were Adam or Eve, and I would have done the same thing. Because we all have. We've all contributed to what Adam and Eve started. The Bible even says that our good works are like dirty rags. Even the best thing you've ever done, the most selfless, the most righteous, the kindest thing you've ever done, the Bible says it's still stained. Even our good works are like dirty rags. So there's nothing you can do to save yourself. You can't, you can't forgive yourself of all your sins, ultimately. You can't, your mom or your dad can't do it for you. you your kids can't do it for you. Um, uh, you, you, cannot take it, you cannot take enough showers or, or whatever to, to wash away your sins. There is nothing that you can do about your own sinful condition ironic that the only one who can do anything about it is the very one that we have sinned against. So what's God, what's God going to do? What's he going to do about it? God has a plan. Going back to Genesis chapter 3, when, he, when God's dealing out curses to the man, to the woman, and to the serpent, to the one who tempted Adam and Eve, to the serpent, the devil, while he's talking to the serpent, uh, he says something very important. 
Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it says this. He's talking to the serpent, okay? He's talking to the devil, okay? And this is what he says. And I will make, <clears throat> I will make enemies of you. Again, he's talking to the serpent. I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring. And I love the way the NASB uh, says it. And of, I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and of her descendants. Capital D, singular, descendants. He, being the descendant, shall bruise you on the head. And you, again talking to the serpent, you shall bruise him on the heel. This is known as the very first prophecy ever about Jesus Christ. Given thousands upon thousands of years before he would ever walk the earth. I will make enemies of you and the woman and of your offspring and her descendant. He shall bruise you on the head and you shall bruise him on the heel. There are two things that are referenced in that prophecy. One is that it talks about a descendant of a woman. Now, if you look at uh, um, uh, genealogies, if you look at genealogies in the Bible, it's always males. So-and-so was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so was the father of so-and-so. Rarely is the mom ever mentioned. But in this prophecy, it only mentions the mom. It only mentions the woman. It's a reference to Jesus. That's a reference to how Jesus would not have a biological father. He would only have an earthly mother. And it says he would crush the serpent's head. You step on a serpent's head, it's dead. But the serpent would bruise his heel. It would cost him something. That's what happened on the cross. On the cross, Jesus defeated death. Jesus uh, defeated But it cost him something. So, from this point on, for the rest of the Bible, we got, we got something to focus on. When you read the whole Bible, now we're looking. Now we know the serpent crush is coming. And as time goes on, as the Bible goes on, God gives us more and more descriptions of what this serpent crush is going to look like. The Old Testament says that he's going to be a descendant of Abraham. Well, then, then, oh, then the Bible goes on to say that uh, the Messiah, this, this serpent crusher, is going to be a descendant of Abraham's son, Isaac, not Ishmael. He's going to be a descendant of Isaac's son, Jacob, not Esau. And then it says he's going to be a descendant of Jacob's son, Judah, not one of his other 11 sons. So we have a description. We know we can tell by many different prophecies, these predictions of the Old Testament, what this Messiah would look like. He's going to be in the tiny, he's going to be born in the tiny town of Bethlehem. Not Jerusalem, where you would think. Maybe, maybe not Jericho, where you might think. Bethlehem. A little tiny town called Bethlehem. And many, many more. Over, I mean, over, he, Jesus fulfilled over 300 prophecies while he walked the earth. Most strikingly in Isaiah 53, it says this. This is Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. This is talking about the coming Messiah. This is what uh, God says through Isaiah in Isaiah 53, verses 5 and 6. It says, but he was pierced for our rebellions. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. Do you see the contrast in all those? He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep, have gone, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own, yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Then 2,000 years ago, he was born. Uh, he was fully man, fully God. He lived a perfect life. He never sinned by action or inaction. 
In John 8, 29, Jesus said this, He who sent me is with me. The Father has not left me alone. Listen to this. For I always do the things that please him. What? Like, who can say that? Who in this room could possibly say, I always do the things that please God? He never sinned in action or in inaction. He never sinned by doing something or by not doing something. He always did what pleased God. And even though he lived a perfect life, he was still condemned to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21, beautiful passage. Um, I encourage you to write this. I mean, I encourage you to write down all the passages we're talking about, especially this one. It's a beautiful passage to commit to memory. This is what the New Living Translation says for 2 Corinthians 5.21. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins. So that we could be made right with God through Christ. He was crucified, he died, and he was buried. And then on the third day, he rose from the dead, proving once and for all that he is God. And he does have the power to forgive sins. And then he ascended into heaven... And, and then he sat down at the right-hand side of the Father, and right now, right now, in this moment, in real time, he is at the right-hand side of the Father, interceding on our behalf, pleading his blood to the Father. That's the message. Let the message of Christ dwell richly among you. That's the message. That might be the number one thing that the enemy doesn't, like he wants you to continuously forget. That's why there's a, there's a minister who said this. We have to preach the gospel to ourselves daily. We have to preach the message of Christ to ourselves daily because I, I don't know, but I can almost guarantee you that if there's one thing that Satan wants you to not remember, it's the message of Christ that's supposed to dwell richly among you. Distract you with worries of the day or uh, important things or unimportant things you got to do on a daily basis. We must preach that gospel to us, to ourselves daily and let it dwell richly among us. That's the gospel, the good news, that you can go to him right now, today. Uh, Jesus said in John chapter 6, whoever comes to me, I will not turn away. He actually said, I will in no wise cast out, which is just a fancy way of just saying never. No, I would never turn anyone away who comes to me. There is nothing you have done, not even that. Whatever just popped into your head, not even that is enough for Jesus to say, whoa. I can't, no, he will in no wise cast out. If you put your faith in him by trusting in what he did for us on the cross. That's what John chapter 3 tells us about. Romans chapter 10 says how we should uh, confess that he is Lord with our mouths. We should say it. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And then Acts chapter 2 talks about how we should repent of our sins, to turn away from our sins, and to be baptized uh, for the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then Hebrews 7.25 says this. It says that he saves us to the uttermost. Like he saves us completely. Picture one of those big old sponges that maybe like you wash a car with, one of those big yellow sponges. Imagine like that being, I don't know if this is a great image but like, or a great analogy, but like imagine that being like your sin. And it's not like Jesus takes your sin and just dips it like halfway in his blood and says, all right, I got half of it. The other half is up to you, okay? Like, come on. I took care of half of it. You can do the other half. 
Or it's not like he dips his 75% and says, okay, look, I did three-fourths of the work. You can do the rest. Get rid of that sin in your life. You know, get that forgiveness of your sin some other way. No, the image that we're given is like Jesus bundles up that sponge, dunks it in the water, and just lets it saturate all of it. He saves you to the uttermost. The uttermost. Everything is taken care of by the blood of Jesus. And let's go one more step further. So what does the Bible say God does with our sin? There's two passages, there's so many beautiful passages that talk about it. But there's two that I want to talk about uh, real briefly. Psalm 103, Psalm 103, uh, verses 11 through 12. It says this. For his unfailing love toward those who fear him is as great as the height of the heavens above the earth. And then the second part, it says this. He has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. I want to dwell on that just for a split second. Do you realize that if God would have given us any other form of separation, we would be able to measure it? Let me explain. Like if God, if this passage were to say he removes our sins as far as the north is from the south, we'd be like, awesome, like that's cool. Uh, I can go to the north pole and I can go to the south pole. If you go the circumference of the earth, you're talking about 12,000 miles. That's great. God removes our sins as far as us from the north as from the south. That's a 12,000-mile distance. That's, that's great. Um, or if God were to say, I removed your sins from you as far as the moon is from the earth. Cool. That's, 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 all, that's awesome. It's really far away. It's like 280,000 miles away. That's fantastic. Um, but we can still measure it. No, no, no. God says, I have removed your sins from you as far as the east from the west. Guess what happens if you go east? You just keep on going east. You'll never go any other direction. If you go north, you'll eventually start going south. But if you go east, you go east forever. If you go west, you go west forever. If you go south, you'll eventually start going north. But if you go west, you go west forever. So God uses two distances that are infinitely apart from each other. That's the image that he gives. That's what he's done with your sin. He has removed your sins from you and cast them as far as the east from the west. One more, Isaiah 43, 25. It says, I, even I, this is God speaking, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions. Imagine someone just taking a big old, like, a permanent marker and just blotting out words on a page. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. And remembers your sins no more. God actively forgets your sins. We forget, like, you can't actively forget something. God can. He says he remembers your sins no more. Music is, music is great. People. But Jesus is better. Jesus is greater. Music is great, but Jesus is greater. Fix your eyes on Jesus. I, I, I beg you, fix your eyes on Jesus. Read Matthew, read Mark, read Luke, read John, read a modern day, read a modern day book about the person of Christ and see how he treated people, how he loved people, how he forgave people. Do Christ-centered devotions. 
And when it comes to music, focus on the message of Christ. More on the message, more on the words than the music. Because music is great, but Jesus is greater. Music is great. Jesus is greater. Because right now there is a nailed, scarred hand being offered to you for payment of your sin. He's done all the work. He's done it all. You just have to accept it. <sighs> the reason why I explain all that is because that's what should be on our minds. That's what should be on our hearts when we're worshiping. And I would say that might be, like I said before, that might be the number one thing that the enemy is trying to block out of your brain. All the time, especially during music, during worship time. He wants us to be focused on other things. When it comes to music, when it comes to worship, when it comes to how we're singing. Every song we sing in worship should be bringing attention to God and his work. Psalm 150, the last psalm, says this. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him uh, in his mighty heaven. Praise him, listen to this, for his mighty works. Praise him for his unequaled greatness. Praise him with a blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with the lyre and the harp. Those are both stringed instruments. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Praise him with, the, uh, with strings and flutes. Praise him with, the clash, with a clash of cymbals. Praise him with loud clanging cymbals. Let everything that breathes, that's you, me, let everything that breathes sing praises to the Lord. Praise the Lord. That passage talks about what, uh, it says that that passage talks about what we should praise and with what we should praise. It says we should praise God for his mighty works and his unequaled greatness, and then it lists off just a ton of stuff. Praise him with these instruments. Praise him with this. Praise him with that. So here's my challenge. I know I've said a lot of things. Here's, here's what I'll, uh, I'll start wrapping up in a minute. I'll start wrapping up in a minute. Um, I know I've said a lot of things. But here's, here's my, my, my plea, my beg as your worship minister, as a fellow Christian. Here's my plea for you. Number one, just to remind you something I said earlier. Number one is we sing to make much of God and his work. Here in a moment, here in a few minutes, when we start playing songs and singing songs, don't, don't, don't just shift back into that mindset. Oh, he's playing the drums too quietly or too loud, or piano, you know, this, or guitar this, or singer this, or I wish they would sing this, or whatever. Don't fall back into that. I, I try not to. We sing to make much of God and his work. Like that song that Ron uh, and Lauren and Arias sing at the beginning, all about you. That's what we're singing to God. All about you. All about you, Jesus. We sing to make much of God in his work. It's not about us. It's all about him. Number two, focus on the content of the song more than anything else. Focus on the content of the song more than anything else. You should call it out if the song is about me, if the song is about us. Like if the song is just about, look how great we are. Thank you, Jesus. But focus on the content because then you might be able to 
you'd be able to call out songs that are not about God and his work. So focus on the content of a song more than anything else. And then number three, I'm just going to quote the Bible to you. Number three, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. Preach the gospel to yourself daily. If you don't know it, ask. Talk to myself. Talk to one of the ministers here. Talk to, talk to someone about it. Get that message burned into your brain. Remind yourself the gospel daily. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly. I'm going to read to you a few lyrics of some of the songs we sing here at church of some of the songs that we're about to sing. I want you to listen to the message of the song without the music. Uh, a song that we've recently introduced over the past couple years called The Goodness of God. Listen to, the, listen to the message of the song without the music. Okay? I love your voice. You have led me through the fire. In the darkest night, you are close like no other. I've known you as a father, and I've known you as a friend, and I have lived, lived in the goodness of God. In all my life, you have been faithful. In all my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. Or how about this one? Man of sorrows, what a name. For the Son of God who came. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruin sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Guilty, vile, helpless we, spotless Lamb of God was he. Full atonement can it be. Hallelujah, what a Savior. Another song that we've just recently introduced, um, it says this, In the darkness we were waiting. Without, without hope and without light. Till from heaven you came running, there was mercy in your eyes. To fulfill the law and prophets, to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. And then it's almost like when they were writing this song, I love the image of like them writing that down. Like, look how awesome God is from a throne of endless glory. God, Jesus went from a, a throne where he needed nothing. He needed no food, no water, no air. God isn't on his throne breathing right now. Like, he doesn't need anything uh, to live. He is completely independent. And then what did Jesus go from that to what? A cradle in the dirt. And then they just, like, it's almost like they just throw the pen down and they just say, praise the Father Praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, majesty, praise forever to the King of kings. Where Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He washed it white as snow. Wayne Smith said this, he said that, um, he said there's no such thing as Christian music. There's no such thing as Christian, Christian music. Just Christian lyrics. No such thing as Christian music. Just Christian lyrics. Um, I'm going to read one more lyric to you before we go into our, to our time of singing. And that is this. It says, dark is the stain 
that I cannot hide. Dark. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide, whiter than snow you can be today. Notice that that passage does not talk about how whiter than snow you can be once you get your act together. Whiter than snow you can be once you conquer that sin. Whiter than snow you can be once you X, Y, and Z. It says whiter than snow you can be today. You can make that decision today during this time. We're going to sing a few songs. Um, and some of the songs that I just read the lyrics to you. If any time during any of those songs you want to make that decision, that today's my day. Today's my day that I'm going to accept what Christ did for me on the cross as payment for my sins. Whiter than snow you can be today. And um, I encourage you to do so. To come up here. Um, someone will speak to you. You can ask whatever questions you got. If you just want prayer, that's great too. Just use this time to uh, focus on the content of these songs, and if you would like to make a decision, you heard the gospel today. Maybe it's the first time you've ever really heard it. Maybe God spoke, and you just it clicked, and you want to make that decision, and you want to get baptized. Whiter than snow, you can be today. And now we're actually going to join all the ideas of this message. We're gonna listen. We're gonna sing these this this music. We're gonna sing these songs. And I want you to listen to the message of the song. And we're going to sing the chorus of that song I just read to you. So if you would, um, you can stand and sing the chorus of that grace greater than all our sin uh, with me. Okay? So let's lift our voices and fill this room. Grace, grace, God. 